Welcome to the Mint's podcast series, In the Boardroom, Practical Advice and Guidance for the Growth-Oriented Company. Today's session is on crisis at the board meeting, how to avoid those crises, and what to do when they happen. My name is Steve Osborne. I'm a partner in our San Francisco and Silicon Valley office of Mint's, and my practice is on helping companies grow, fund, and exit. I'm joined by Melanie Levy, capital markets partner from our San Diego office, and because we're talking about that crisis in the boardroom today, we're joined by Jason Vigna, a securities litigation partner in our New York office. Welcome to the pod, Jason. Oh, thank you very much, Steve. And Melanie, as always, great to do the podcast with you. It's great to be here, Steve. Thank you so much for having me. And Jason, I look forward to discussing with you today. A big part of why we decided to do this podcast is one, I think all of us have been in a crisis in a boardroom you know, even in the last month. But this came out of a question we got earlier in a podcast series when a client was asking me, how do I structure my board meeting? And what do I say at the board meeting? And that's a very common question I get from, say, venture-backed companies and from first-time CEOs. And one of the things we always tell them is not to miss the material risks. You want to make sure you're discussing those material risks, and you want to make sure that you're documenting those material risks in your board minutes. That advice or that, that uh, hook of that advice came from Jason, and we discussed that in a previous podcast, so we wanted to invite Jason to come and talk a little bit more about how we would identify those material risks, how we would be documenting those material risks, how we'd be talking about those material risks, and then, unfortunately, if we have to deal with those material risks, how we can best deal with them. So let me ask first, Melanie, what is one thing a board member should be doing to make sure that they are identifying material risk? So for me, especially, and I think this applies to both public and private companies, the very best thing that a board member can do is ask questions. And your parents have probably already told you or your teachers always told you, there is never a silly or a stupid question. And I think as a board member, looking at the business from that point of view and recognizing that, that you as a board member have been selected because someone appreciates your advice. They appreciate your point of view. And so if you don't understand something or if you have a question about something, don't be silent. Ask the question. So one thing that's important to do as a public company is there's an entire section in your filings called risk factors. And if you're a public company board member, one thing that you should always be doing is reading your public company filings in any case. But that particular section is supposed to discuss the material risks for your potential business. And again, when reading that section and looking at it, maybe against competitor companies, the, the important thing to do is to ask questions. If you see something in there that you you don't understand or you haven't just heard discussed at a board meeting or that you're concerned about, it's very important to bring it up. For instance, you know, maybe it's a supply chain risk. Maybe we're worried that we won't have reagents to perform our test. Maybe we're worried about FedEx being able to deliver our tests on time. All of those things. If, if you're a board member and you're worried about that and you see it, ask the question and um, ask management, how are they handling it? That's great advice. I love that. And then, Jason, what are the big things that can go wrong? Like you see it from the litigation side. So what are the things that you're seeing that have gone wrong? Sure. It, and I can definitely talk about that. But I do want to expand on a couple of things that Melanie talked about you know, first. 
as a board, your, your job is to oversee risk management. And as Melanie pointed out, your biggest job probably is to be asking questions and making sure you understand how the company is managing risks and making sure things aren't being overlooked. And I'll, when I talk about things that could go wrong, I'll get to that in just a second. But it's really important that you remember that it, it's, it's the officers, it's the management that's in charge of also managing the risk on a day-to-day -day basis and identifying the risks in the first instance very often and making sure that management has a process to do that. And there are lots of ways that companies do this. Uh, sometimes they have focus groups within the company. Sometimes they're surveying division heads about risks. You know, there's interview processes. Obviously, there's lots of internal data at every company that can and should be monitored. As Melody pointed out, you know, one of the best ways to be kind of identifying risks is just being very well read, you know, reading your competitors' public statements, but also just reading the news. And whenever you're seeing something that is kind of triggers a risk, you know, talk to your your managers about it and, and make sure your managers are considering whether this is a risk at your own company and if it is what they're doing about it. You know, as a director, your job is to you know, have a dialogue with, with the management, recognizing that the management should have in place processes to identify and manage risk. And of course, things can go terribly wrong, Steve, as you mentioned, when companies don't do this. As a litigator, you know, one of the biggest cases from recent years was Bluebell Creameries, which was an ice cream company. And they had a listeria outbreak that very unfortunately made a lot of people sick and killed a couple people. It turns out that Bluebell, they had compliance programs, they had, you know, inspections by health inspectors. Management was aware that they were having certain listeria problems before it had a terrible outbreak. And apparently there were 10 reports of listeria in certain batches of ice cream during the course of the preceding year. And none of those reports made its way to the board of directors reportedly. And that raised some real questions about how the board was doing its job of overseeing a significant possible risk for a food company is your food safety. And if you're a member of a board of directors, you should definitely be asking, you know, what is the worst thing that can go wrong at my company. And if you're a food company, one of the worst things that could go wrong is if you have contaminated food. And apparently there just were not enough questions being asked at the board and there were not enough reports making its way from management up to the board so that the problems could have been nipped in the bud ahead of time. That's obviously a, a big example that turned into litigation that we're all aware of as litigators. But even when you think about, say, the most recent kind of financial downturn that we're going through is triggered by a lot of times supply chain problems. And, you know, a lot of boards, you know, perhaps have been monitoring these problems. A lot of them, I hope, had identified supply chain risks ahead of time. A lot of companies had plans in place to deal with them. A lot of companies didn't. But that's something that can go wrong when you don't have plans in place to deal with supply chain problems. You look at the last financial crisis, the 2008 financial crisis, a lot of financial companies got into trouble because they had over-concentration of risks with collateralized debt obligations. And again, you know, boards of directors should be asking, what's the worst thing that can go wrong here? And if you're a financial company that has very concentrated risk in a particular type of financial instrument, 
you should be at least aware of that and hopefully have plans to go into place. I think that's great. I mean, one of the things that's coming out of both what you and Melanie are saying is that CEOs, management of companies, they're humans. And yes. sometimes, sometimes their worst instincts are to hide the things that they don't want you to know about as a director. And that it really is meaningful to keep that open dialogue to keep those questions rolling so that you can get to the bottom and, and surface or surface and then get to the bottom of what those risks are. And I think both of what you guys said makes a lot of sense there. And I think that Blue Bell case really does bring out in, in many ways, you know, what happens when, you know, management sits on these massive issues and the kind of liability that can be created from that. As we move through this conversation, I think it'd be helpful to talk a little bit about what a board member's duties look like when it comes to management and a little bit about what rules may apply to some of our public company clients. Jason, do you want to hit on that for a second? Sure. Well, both public companies and private companies are bound by fiduciary duties. And a lot of companies are based in Delaware and under Delaware law, the directors of all companies under Delaware law have a duty to exercise oversight. Sometimes that's referred to as part of the, the quote unquote care mark duties. But what that means is that as a director, you have a duty to monitor the company's operational viability, legal compliance, and financial performance. And that duty of oversight includes the duty to make sure that there are risk reporting processes in place and regulatory compliance systems in place, and also a duty not to disregard red flags of problems. Then, of course, for public companies, there are some specific rules. There's an SEC rule in Reg SK Rule 407H that says that in a company's proxy statements, you have to disclose the extent of the board's role in risk oversight. And then also, if you're a New York Stock Exchange listed company, there is a rule, Rule 3037D4, which says that the audit committee has a very specific duty to discuss guidelines and policies to govern the processes by which risk is uh, handled. And obviously you can place the duty to oversee risk in lots of different places within your board of directors and the board of directors as a whole probably should be having conversations about risk. But if you're a New York Stock Exchange listed company, the audit committee specifically has to discuss uh, risk oversight. Melanie, I'm interested to hear too from you on how you practically advise board members when they ask you, what are my duties? Yeah. So number one, it goes back to asking questions. Number two, your duty is to oversee management. I think number three, your duty is to actually read the public filings as a public company that are being filed. Number four, I think anything that's going to be not necessarily every press release, but the press releases that are going to move the needle on the business. You should also understand what your analysts are saying about you. What, Because that's another good source. What do the analysts believe that the risks are of the company. And sometimes it's not often that this happens, but you'll read an analyst report and you'll think, I've never thought of it that way. But that's true. This analyst has identified something that perhaps we should consider and discuss as a board. So it's really having an active engagement with management and looking at the information resources 
that are available to you, such as the filings, talking to accounting staff, talking to your service professionals as well is another good place. Particularly as members of the audit committee, you should ask questions of your auditors and ask the auditors, are there things you're worried about from an internal reporting perspective, an internal control perspective? How do you feel our accounting staff is equipped to handle the complicated accounting matters we might be facing? Are you concerned? Do you feel that we have enough staff? And the same thing is true of your attorneys. You Usually attorneys do sit in board meetings, and if they are, it's important, especially in the executive session perhaps, to ask the attorney, is there something else that I need to know? Are there risks that I am not considering? What is your view? What, what, do, you, what do I need to be thinking about here? Is to really take advantage of those things that are available to you. Publicly, analyst reports, your professionals, and certainly asking questions of management. That's my advice. That's, that's great advice from both, from both of you. I, I know that a lot of times when we're talking about maybe onboarding a new client or when we're looking at some of the war stories we see out in our marketplace, you know, the thing that occurs to us is that what is the company's culture when it comes to risk awareness and risk assessment? And one of the, the war stories that comes to mind for me, not, not that we handled it, but that it was in the news recently, is the Drizzly case, where the FTC held not only the company liable, but also the CEO liable. And I wonder if Jason can help us understand a little bit better about what happened in that case and where the risk that kind of culture and how you can address those. Well, I, th I think that the biggest problem at, at, at Drizzly, it, I, mean, I guess maybe just to table set what happened there, is uh, you know the company had a, had a data breach and uh, the information on, I think it was 25,000 customers, you know, really detailed information, including income levels and things like that what was stolen. And the problem was that it happened twice. It happened in uh, just a couple of years ago, which was just a couple of years after they'd had a previous data breach, if I recall correctly. And the FTC came down and basically told Drizzly what they're going to have to do going forward to secure the data of its customers and actually minimize the data also of that it's keeping on its customers. And also impose these these kind of directions on the CEO as well in case he ever goes to a different company. And a lot of companies have data breach problems. And this is an indication that government is very, very concerned about data breaches. And what I think, to get to your question, Steve, what I think went wrong at Drizzly is I think that they were relying a little bit too much that they had service providers that were providing database services and whatnot. And it seemed like at Drizzly that they were just kind of relying on their service providers being well-respected service providers. And what the FTC said is you can't just rely on others to do a really important function, which is protecting the information of your customers. You have to yourself as a company be you know, taking certain responsibility and at least monitoring these service providers. Apparently at Drizzly, they weren't actually monitoring at all to see if the information that they were keeping their databases was leaking out into the public, uh, which it was. And what's important about Drizzly is just recognizing that you have a duty as a, a company yourself to 
you know, really be on your own kind of monitoring these risks and taking certain responsibility for these risks. And that's an important discussion. And But we're talking more about culture. I think it is really important just to getting to some of these points that Melanie has. When we talk to our companies, we say it, it's important to kind of foster a, a culture of communication and respect. And it's one of the best ways to minimize risks going forward. When you're getting information from lots of people within the company, it's one of your best ways to make sure that you're identifying problems before they really snowball into something big. You know, I think it's, it's interesting. One of the things I notice in these fast growing startup kind of companies is really that a lot of times growth is prioritized over structure and that you end up with a culture, not, not intentionally, of course, but you end up with a culture where growth or sales or you know, hiring, those are all the things that we're focusing on. And we're not focusing on what are the risks that are the business are facing? What's a risk management program? You know, for instance, maybe at Drizzly, what is an information security program? You know, the kinds of things that companies that are more mature tend to have. And I wonder, Melanie, as you're looking at your clients, what are things that you're bringing to the table as considerations or thoughts about how you can instill those kinds of values in a company that doesn't already have them? Well, that is ultimately, if management is not doing it, that is ultimately the job of the board. And the board's job is to ensure that there is a culture at the company. And the, sometimes it involves very carefully looking out for signs. Like you might see, for instance, people often report headcount to the board. And there might be a situation where all of a sudden everybody in a particular department has left. In that instance, it might show you that what is happening there? Why did these people all leave? Is it economic? Are they concerned? Is there a cultural situation that people are concerned about? Are you conducting exit interviews? And, you know, in, in taking a step back and thinking about it, one of the real benefits that a board member provides, as long as they speak up, is they are sort of an outside party looking in. When you're in a company, and particularly when you're focused on growth or getting a product approved or developing something, you're go, 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 go to the mission. And that is a good thing for business. But sometimes what happens is it creates sort of a bubble where people don't step back and look at the big picture from sort of an outside view. And that's really what a board member can do if they ask those questions. To Jason's point, don't just defer to your professional um, service providers. Ask them questions. Don't just presume they're doing everything they're supposed to do. Be active about it and really trust your instinct that you have as an intelligent individual and trusted advisor to this company that if you have an instinct to a question or a concern, raise it. And that's one of the best things I think you can do to avoid risk or to really, even if it means uncovering something that perhaps you wouldn't want to uncover, at least you uncover it perhaps before it becomes a bigger problem. That's great advice. And then, Jason, before we move on to the next topic, from the litigator's perspective, what are the best practices for oversight? Well, there are lots of best practices for oversight. And I, I wanted to build also on a couple of things that Melanie was saying there are, aside from just even asking questions, kind of you're talking about processes, there are processes that you can put in place 
I think it's important to have written codes of conduct that it's communicated to everybody that there is an expectation that everybody in the company is going to act with integrity, competence, and thoughtfulness. And when you're writing down, you know, your code of conduct, it forces you to think about the values that are important at your company. And I think it's a worthwhile exercise. So another thing that I think is kind of important in developing a culture of risk awareness is having some accountability. Make sure that when things go wrong, when people are not identifying risks, catching risks, reacting appropriately to risks, that that to taken into consideration in promotions and compensation. And, and more, on the flip side, when people actually are identifying risks and reacting properly to risks, that it's taken into account on the plus side. And then finally, I think that the idea of risk awareness, it, it can be introduced into a lot of different things. When you're doing employee training, there can be periodic communications that stress kind of risk awareness. Strategic planning clearly has to consider risk. Risk can be a consideration in budgeting. Staff meetings can be discussed there. Performance evaluations, I think I kind of had gotten to. There are lots of ways that you can at least make sure that risk is part of a lot of different conversations. And I think that that is important. I think that's excellent. Okay, let's say this. Let's say something's happened. You know, that crisis hit the boardroom. What do you do when something happens? Well, I think from a, a litigator's perspective, a couple things are important, one of which is you're, you're going to have to disclose the problem. And there are two aspects to the disclosure. There's your legal formal disclosure, and then there's your PR and kind of crisis management disclosure. With your legal disclosure, and it doesn't even have to be a crisis. Really, whenever you're going to disclose anything that could drive the stock price down, you should have your lawyers involved and you know, kind of more specifically, you should have some litigators involved in how you're doing your disclosures because there are ways that things can be disclosed that will minimize your litigation risk. But then when you're dealing with a genuine crisis, you're, you're also probably going to have a PR team and a, you know, kind of a crisis PR team. And companies sometimes don't think about this until they get into that crisis situation. You should have them retained from day one. When you are any sort of a significant company, you should have a PR team that you have engaged, that are very familiar with your company, that are very familiar with your executives, and they will help you disclose to the public, you know, kind of three important things. One is what happened. Two is what is the company doing about it? And three is really concern, genuine concern for the communities that got impacted by the problem, whether it's, you know, the stockholder or the employees or the community at large. Hopefully, as, as a company, you're thinking about all those things anyway, but your PR folks will help you with that as well. Melanie, do you have an example of sort of when a crisis has come up, how you've thought about that and given advice to a company? Yes, we've dealt with a number. It, there's a number of crises, and you know, obviously, without going into any particular client, those crises might include, you know, FBI investigations. The, you know, unfortunately, instances where buildings are being shot at or attacked. Um, certain political attacks, things of that nature. There have been instances where, unfortunately. To Jason's point, you know, companies developing drugs, sometimes they have serious adverse events and a person actually passes away. And I think to Jason's point, 
you may not know or be able to anticipate every single situation. But having the team in place so that you know, immediately the CEO or chief executive is informed. The chief executive will then usually call the chairperson of the board to ensure that that line of communication is then opened. Usually after a period, brief period typically, of investigation and fact-finding as to what is occurring, talking to the relevant persons, a board meeting or a committee meeting as applicable will be called. Part of those discussions and preparations will also often include PR teams. We've also worked just for instance with ML strategies here on crisis management. They work together to help frame press releases, to frame messaging, and that's done as quickly as possible in advance of the board meeting. The board then will in depth discuss about what happens, the facts around it, how the event is to be messaged, and then it is addressed. And it's if it, to the extent there is a legal disclosure, a disclosure that requires disclosure in a 10Q, a 10K, an 8K, um, or a press release, that is drafted and sent to the board as well. And it's very carefully sort of managed. Those persons are all in place. And those are sort of the process for how it would go to handling a crisis. And sometimes the importance of this is you may, to Jason's point, and as was the case with Bluebelt, you may have to act very, very quickly. Because if, you know, and in the instances where there was a threat to one particular company's employees, had to act very, very quickly. Did security need to be called? Should people have been told to stay home? Those are sort of the sort of examples of things that come to mind immediately, having the team in place and being flexible and nimble and ensuring you bring your board in quickly. As a litigator in the room, Jason, when do you want to be called in these situations? Well, actually, I'd prefer to be called before a crisis occurs. <laughs> sure. But uh, yes, certainly whenever there is a crisis, but sometimes I'm asked as a litigator, what can I as a you know, officer or director do to avoid litigation risk or manage litigation risk? And I guess through the years, I've come up with at least a couple things that I think should be actively considered. And the first thing is kind of what we've been talking about or fits into what we've been talking about a lot, which is to manage your litigation risk, you need to be actively considering and regularly updating the company-specific risk factors in your SEC filings. Next, you should make sure that a board committee is regularly informed about whatever it is that the core thing your company does is. Like if you're a small biotech company, you should have a committee that's regularly informed of your R&D updates. Same principle applies to all companies. Whenever you are talking to the public about your company and your company's plans, you know, whatever the context is, whether it's at a industry conference or to an analyst or whatnot, make sure you're making forward-looking statement disclaimers. Melanie already talked about press releases. Sometimes press releases become the basis of a securities fraud complaint or something like that and sometimes also turn into derivative breach of fiduciary duty litigation, sometimes will relate to what was said in a press release. And you get a lot more protection and also your press releases just are better if you have a board member who does review press releases, then it becomes protected by what's called business judgment very often. And also sometimes these board members can just make sure your, your press releases aren't going out on a limb too far. Optimism. Every company is optimistic about how it's going to do. Make sure your optimism is expressed as an opinion and that if there is 
material contrary data that's going to undercut your optimism, make sure that's disclosed somewhere as well, at this, and ideally at the same time you're expressing your optimism. Uh, something that's important actually is having social media and confidentiality policies. Social media can actually trip up a company and can create both political problems, customer problems, legal problems. If social media is run through one particular person or group, it normally helps minimize those problems. And also confidentiality policies are important to you know, make sure that the company is speaking for itself and other people are not speaking for the company, which can create problems. Well, I really enjoyed this discussion, Jason and Melanie. I mean, if there's one thing we know, it's that if you're on a board long enough or you run a company long enough or you represent companies, that there's going to be a crisis in the boardroom. And being prepared for that, uh, having good practices, knowing how to react and respond, these are all things that I think as a board member and as an executive are very important. And I think you've shared a lot of your best thoughts today, and I appreciate that. You know, there's resources available to board members as well, and I want to make sure we pass along that. One, if you're interested in the Blue Bell case or the Drizzly case that we talked about today, Mintz has client alerts on both of those. And if you reach out to somebody on our team, we'd be happy to send those alerts to you. And one re other resource that I thought would be helpful to pass along is from NACD. And, and maybe, Jason, would you help us understand that resource that's available to board members? Yeah, so um, the National Association of Corporate Directors was a, a group that I, you know, for a long time was associated with and served on a couple committees there. But a couple of years ago, they put out a, it was called the Report of the NACD Blue Ribbon Commission on Risk Governance, Balancing Risk and Reward. And I think it's a helpful thing for directors to look at for two reasons. One is it gives a number of examples of questions that board members should be asking, certainly annually and, and more likely more often than that. Then also it gives some examples of risk report uh, formats and risk reports that boards of directors might ask their managers or the management to be providing to them on a regular basis, remembering that it's important to have some sort of process where you know, risks are being brought up to the board's attention. And one way to do this is through risk reports, and the NACD has some examples of that in their materials. That's fantastic. Thank you very much. This wraps up the In the Boardroom podcast session on crisis at the board meeting. Thank you again to Jason Vigna and to Melanie Levy, and I'm Steve Osborne, and we'll see you at the next podcast session.